You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to Fantasy Football Today Dynasty. I am your host, Heath Cummings, joined by a very special guest today, almost on the anniversary of a very special moment. I went looking for the tweet, and it was uh, September 4th, 2011. My guest sent out a tweet looking for game recappers for football guys. I, uh, I responded to the tweet started an email chain. I went to work for football guys and the rest, as they say, is history. Sigmund Bloom, thank you so much for joining us today and and for so many other things, really. Oh, it's a great pleasure. I mean, every year we get to do this, Heath, I feel like we're getting away with something. And it's very <laughs> kind of so many people that the, their bargain that they make to exist with the world may not be as kind as the one we've been able to make. And we've only been able to make it because of them, because they like our work and continue to support us. And this is especially wonderful time because all that stuff we've been obsessing about all off season. Now we have company. Now we don't feel so weird. We don't feel like we're just wasting our life where we don't have a life. We have a life and it's uh, something that everybody cares about pouring over every coach's comment, every preseason snap, all kinds of things that don't matter. Well, we think they matter. Absolutely. And we, and we have so much to talk about. Like on the yeah. eve of the program, we get the Dalvin Cook signing and we get the yep. Ezekiel Elliott signing. And then this morning we get Anthony Richardson named as a starter. We are going to talk about all of those things. We're going to talk about some of the deep sleepers that we saw pop in preseason week one. Before we do that, Sig, I'd like for you to kind of tell everybody yeah. what you've got going on over at Football Guys and how they can be a part of it. Yeah, what, what don't we have going on? I mean, it, it's just, right now, our training camp reports, we have someone covering every single team, uh, are coming out to recap everything you need to know from the previous week. Uh, of course, we have constantly updated rankings, every format you could imagine. We obsess about fantasy football. Uh, like, we're just made up of the community. And uh, the best way to start, if you don't know about football guys, is signing up for our free daily newsletter cecil lammy my trusty co-host over at the audible and i and joe bryant the mayor of football guys we give you what we think matters about the news and there's so much of it i like to say heath we take the fire hose of news that we have during august we're like ted the bartender from the love boat we make a little cocktail out of it put a little umbrella in it you can drink it it goes down easy and you'll know what you need to help your fantasy team win to help you in your draft uh so again it's a uh, if you think about fantasy football as the first thing after you wake up, the last thing before you fall asleep, then there's something for you, football guys. I, I can attest to that being true. I, you know, we always like to start the show with three questions for our guests, and, and mm -hmm. especially this year. Like, it's one thing to be a redraft player and trying to negotiate all of this training camp. I'll put air quotes on it. News mm -hmm. um, it, it, and the preseason stat lines and the, and the video clips and the one handed catches. What should dynasty managers really actually pay attention to? What should matter to them right. in the preseason? I think the two most important things, rookies, obviously rookies. And you look at this. I'm the mayor of Narrative Street. Uh, look at it like a story. We're reading the story of the novel of each one of these players' careers. And it's a great story. And when we look back at the players, either the players that uh, hit that we expected to hit or the players that we didn't expect to hit, generally that first chapter is foreshadowing. And for rookies, the first you read what the coaches are saying about them. You read what their teammates are saying about them. You watch them in the preseason and see if they stand out. That's going to give you your clue of how to start separating the rookies, the wheat from the chaff. And then the other thing I think 
for dynasty players and redraft players alike, honestly, is uh, anything where there were changes, changes in coaching, uh, especially when we look at teams that really have overhauled their offensive systems, like Baltimore, for instance, uh, even situations where players may be ready for more like Justin Fields in Chicago. How is that going? Uh, what is the trajectory? What direction is the arrow pointing right now? And I think that there is a lot of valid information, but like you said, with air quotes news, probably the most important skill and Heath, this is probably a skill for like all Americans right now is figuring out what news actually is, is relevant or gives some probative value into what's going to happen next and what news isn't really news at all. And that could be the answer to this next question, but, but I'm going, I'm going to still, still ask it because like, not thinking about the preseason, just thinking about the way that people play dynasty, or maybe just the way that you play dynasty. Sure. But for we've got a lot of people that are making this transition. Like I think this is the best way to play fantasy football. It's it's by far sure. the most fun for me, and and it does the thing that I think fantasy football was meant to do. It keeps people together for mm-hmm. a long time in these long running dynasty leagues. But for those people making the transition that we're trying to help them along that way, what piece of advice would you give to a new dynasty manager? I think that the most important thing is you don't have to choose between win now and build for the future. You do both. Do both. Play do to both. Win. I like it. Play to win now and play to build a juggernaut. Uh, I think that there's a certain point in the dynasty calendar, and Heath, we've passed it, where you should be thinking more like a redraft manager. You should be looking at a shorter horizon of value and how you're managing your team. And things change so quickly in the NFL now (laughs) that you may look at your roster and think, I'm not going to have a chance to win this year. And then by week five, be four and one and rate in the mix to be the champion of your league. Likewise, you can look at your roster and think, oh, I'm one of the best three teams in my league. And by week five, you're one and four and wondering, is it time to rebuild? So we don't understand exactly what we have on our roster in terms of value like we think we do until the games start. So do both. And the other thing I'll say just as an aside, for the most part, everybody overvalues the allure of the unknown in the future. Players that are on the upslope side of their career arc. It is overvalued. There's so many, Heath, how many dynasty leagues do you know? There's one or two teams that they stockpile picks, they stockpile prospects, and nothing ever comes of it. It's just (laughs) seeds. Nothing ever grows. I mean, it's the magic beans. You don't get to go up and see the giant, you know? So I think that it's okay to value players that maybe only have a one-year horizon of value to win now. And I think that if you are going to err on one side of win now versus build for the future, err on the side of win now because you'll feel it. You'll feel that rush when you win a championship that any number, look at the Rams, look at the Bucks, any number of years of pain is worth it if you get to hoist that trophy once. As I I say a lot, flags fly forever. And it is true that unfortunately we don't know how long each of these leagues are going to last. Winning now is certainly worth more than winning later because you have a much better chance of uh, guaranteeing the win now than you do the win later. Let's give me, we're going to talk about deep sleepers on today's show. Give me one deep sleeper that you think dynasty managers should be most aggressive acquiring right now. You're torturing me. By putting one in this question, by the way, you're just torturing me. And also there's a sense of how deep is your league? How deep do we need to go? I mean, there's some leagues where unless you're talking about a player that's going to be on the practice squad to begin the season, it's not deep enough. But I think a player that I just feel like isn't getting enough attention is Tyler Scott out of Chicago. Hmm. And I think that if you're looking for that auspicious beginning to his career in training camp, you're seeing it. And the other thing that people need to understand, we assign so much to draft slot, right? But really, Tyler Scott is not that much different than the receivers that went at least in the second round, even at least a, a Rasheed Rice or a Marvin Mims. Uh, there's a there was a plateau of value. The top four did stand out, and then there was a plateau of values at wide receiver. And Tyler Scott happened to fall to the fourth round. But Tyler Scott isn't that different than Josh Downs. He isn't that different than these receivers that went on the second day. And the other thing that we need to keep in mind is. Teams aren't drafting based on their depth charts today. At least good teams aren't. They're drafting based on their depth charts two or three years from now. Okay, Darnell Mooney's going to be a free agent. I love Darnell Mooney. He's going to be a free agent. Chase Claypool is going to be a free agent. 
And I think that, again, we may look at this Chicago Bears uh, team, this offense, as an offense that doesn't have enough pass volume for us to be interested in anyone more than DJ Moore. But things change. And Tyler Scott's got the goods. uh, And I think that if you're able to get him a round or two later than receivers that from a pure talent perspective are pretty close to him, then that's a great value. And I think in shallower dynasty leagues where the roster cutoff means you might not keep more than three or four draft picks. Tyler Scott might be out there on the waiver wire. He's a guy you can get as a throw-in. So I think that he's a player that has been vastly overlooked in rookie drafts. I, I love that. I love I love like a couple things. One, it's that ambiguous situation. Yes, DJ Moore is going to be the wide receiver one in that offense for the foreseeable future. But everything else over the next two to three years is pretty up in the air with the Bears. And I think it, a lot of people would have said just 12 months ago, well, Jalen Hurts isn't going to throw enough to support yeah. AJ Brown, Devontae Smith, and Dallas Goddard. There's just no way that's going to happen. Right. right. It turns out they were all awesome. So so I love those three. We have a ton of news and notes, and, and I had some at the top of the list, but we're going to go with the most recent stuff first because I don't know if you've been on Twitter very much this morning, but I've been <laughs> fighting about Anthony Richardson with everyone because sure. somehow me saying Anthony Richardson was named the starter, he should be ranked somewhere between QB6 and QB10 now because he's a running quarterback Right means... I'm overlooking everything that he did at Florida, and I think he's going to be a great passer, which is not the truth at all. But I do think that this is like the thing I've seen or thought since he was drafted by the Colts is what a perfect situation. Yes. You've got a a coach in Shane Steichen that just had this. I mean, obviously, Jalen Hurts, much more accomplished as a passer in college, uh, didn't have quite as far to go in that regard. But he just designed an offense that they ran the ball 10 times per game with their quarterback. Then he chooses this quarterback fourth overall. I see no reason that Anthony Richardson isn't going to be amongst the league leaders this year in rushing yards for quarterbacks. And I'm having a hard time keeping him out of my top six or seven for the dynasty rankings. Yes. Yes to all those things. And I think uh, the important thing to point out is he landed in the right spot. And I, I remember the night of the draft, Heath, whenever he, Indianapolis took him, I just I was celebrating for football fans everywhere because he landed with a coach that is going to embrace what he has instead of trying to square peg round hole him. And like you said, we saw him develop an offense around Jalen Hurts. Also, remember, Jane Steichen was part of the tremendous rookie year that Justin Herbert had. So you have a coach that is going to meet the player where he's at. <laughs> Excuse me. Meet, meet the player where he's at and design an offense to accentuate the strengths he has now and, and play away from his weaknesses as he develops that offense can change. Now, from a strict VBD standpoint, what's up, Joe Bryant, the (laughs) inventor of that term VBD and what VBD stands for, if you're not familiar with it, is just, it's not how many points a player scores. It's how many points he produces over the replacement level player in his position and a quarterback in a typical league, the quarterback 12, right? So we can look at Justin Fields as an example. Justin Fields was an atrocious passer last year. It was an atrocious pass offense. It wasn't all on him. It was terrible. There was the first four weeks that were kind of a throwaway. As it was a rocky start. Once they hit cruising altitude around week, week five, Justin Fields' value in most scoring systems was the same as Joe Burrow's value over the course of the entire season, about 26 points per game, give or take your scoring system. Now, that, I think, is a reasonable expectation for Anthony Richardson this year. But Anthony Richardson could be better than that. Anthony Richardson arguably has better weapons around him. Anthony Richardson is arguably a runner that uh, is you'd be more willing to use because of how large he is, because you're not worried about his durability, because he's, he's defensive end sized, you know, he's tight end sized. So... I think that we should not and look even if even if Anthony Richardson averages 26 points per game there may be some games where an, a good defense has the drop on him and he is uh, really thwarted and it's a low light for him but likewise there'll be a game that he wins your week that if you had him as your quarterback he he was going to score he's going to have three long runs he's going to rack up 150 rushing yards and two touchdowns and it doesn't even matter what he does as a passer in that game he probably won your week for you so I agree with you. Quarterback six to twelve is where he belongs. 
Uh, I have him as quarter in 10. I have him as quarterback 10 right now, but I think from a pure VBD standpoint, he offers more than Trevor Lawrence. He offers more than Justin Herbert. Now Herbert is an interesting case because what's Kellen Morgan unlock Lawrence. We know is going to have with Calvin Ridley. Well, what in in second year in Doug Peterson system, press Taylor, what's that going to involve just Deshaun Watson. So I could easily see moving Richardson. That's the question, right? Does Richardson belong before or after that tier? But I'll say this, this is my controversial position where I'll fight with people. Come on, bring it on. I'll fight you. Um, I don't care if you take Josh Allen. Anthony Richardson at ADP is a good pick. He's QB 15 or 16. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. No, so no, I want to I want to tend to that profile of a quarterback. I think you mentioned Josh Allen, and I think it's interesting because Lamar Jackson as well. We're this is uncharted territory. We've not seen these guys who run this much get old and no. stay relevant. And right. so I, I do wonder, like Richardson's young enough that I think he still has, no matter if you think he's going to drop off at 27, 28, 29, because of all the hits, he's still got a six or seven year window. Yeah. But are you getting are you, in dynasty? Are you getting concerned at all that like J- Lamar Jackson's already shown the evidence the last two years. So it'd be understandable if you were with him, but do you think that a Josh Allen window is shorter than a Patrick Mahomes window? It's I mean, evidence points in that direction. Uh, just because of the bills are telling us, right? We want Josh Allen to take less punishment this year. We heard that more than once this offseason. They got a couple of more guys that can pick, mix it up inside between the tackles, Damian Harris and Latavius Murray. And maybe they're also looking to have more balance in their offense. So that makes sense. Uh, and I think Cam Newton is a good example. Andrew Luck wasn't a classic running quarterback, but I, I do think you're right to point out that the amount of punishment that some of these quarterbacks take can catch up with them faster than your classic pocket quarterback, a, a, a Drew Brees, uh, a, a quarterback who doesn't sacrifice as much of their health and well-being for the team. Uh, but I think that, unfortunately, this is just one of those scenarios where uh, it's kind of like the running back market, the exploitative running back market, where it's it's tough, but when we get into fantasy football, we kind of have to dehumanize it and right. really lo- look at just the numbers. And in this case, like you said, in Richardson's case, because it's the beginning of his career arc, I think that, well, I'll, I'll put it back to specific advice for dynasty uh, fantasy owners, right? Again, this was a, there's a league where I have Lamar Jackson. I had the fourth overall pick in my rookie draft. I took Anthony Richardson. Right. right. So maybe it's you start planning a little more ahead and maybe you even try to get out of your Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson positions before the bottom drops out. I think that's good. We had the two, the two signings yesterday and we'll kind of mm-hmm. group these together a little bit. Um, Dalvin Cook signs with the Jets and maybe you see these completely different. So tell me if you do. Ezekiel Elliott signs with the Patriots. Um, obviously, I think. For Brees Hall, it's more concerning because there's a lot more guaranteed money on the Cook contract, and Hall is coming off of the ACL. I thought maybe people should have been more concerned about this year than they were already. What I think is interesting from a dynasty perspective is like Hall and Stevenson, in theory, are young enough that even if they take a little ding and redraft this year because of the signings, it shouldn't impact their dynasty value that much. But what you were just talking about with the focus on win this year over win two or three years from now, and especially what we've seen at running back with, I mean, Javante Williams, DeAndre Swift, Ken Walker, all these guys were top five dynasty running backs just 12 months ago, and not just in my rankings and almost everyone's, and none of them are now. How much do these signings impact your opinion of the dynasty value of Hull and Stevenson? And then the second question would be like for Cook or Elliott, if you're a win now team, is is are they somebody you'd be interested in acquiring or is it strictly just a sell because they signed with somebody? They're too old. Probably a sell. Probably. Yeah. I mean, it depends on your depth because they can help you, especially in deeper dynasty leagues, 16 team leagues, leagues where you're going to be scraping the bottom of the barrel sometimes in bye weeks and when you have injuries and things like that. But I, it's there's no there's no way to spin this. Heath, I don't think there's any way to spin this positive for any of the four running backs, ex- except Ezekiel Elliott, maybe because he was outside of our circle of trust. Ezekiel Elliott was pretty right there with Kareem. Hunt and Leonard Fournette, who are still waiting to get signed. You know, they were basically players, I think, that were afterthoughts. And at the very least, Ezekiel Elliott is a player that could easily lead the Patriots in rushing touchdowns. Now, what is that going to take? Maybe that's six 
I don't know. I mean, that's the thing. It's not, it's the Patriots offense. Patriots offensive line he really needs to avoid injuries. Yes, Bill O'Brien is a legitimate actual offensive coordinator. That's going to help, but it's still going to be one of the lowest wattage offenses in the league. And if you think, let's put ourselves in Bill Belichick's head for a second. They want to keep games low scoring, right? right? They want to win games with defense and special teams. They don't want, they're not going to try to, pull games into any kind of shootout game script. At least Ezekiel Elliott's going to get more. I know we love Ramondre Stevenson because of all of his receptions last year. Well, Ezekiel Elliott's one of the best pass-blocking running backs in the league. That's not good for Ramondre Stevenson. Uh, the Patriots have been sniffing around veteran running backs basically for the entire last month. So they were always looking. They were hoping Kevin Harris or Pierre Strong, the, the traffics from last year, were going to convince them they didn't need a veteran. And I, I just... This is a committee, and it's an ugly committee because it's a low-ceiling offense. So maybe, yeah, Ezekiel Elliott is like your fourth running back, again, a bi-week emergency injury running back. Ramondre Stevenson, I know people are saying, great, now I can get him in the fourth round. Why? Why? I don't I don't understand. I, I'll, I'll put it this way. If you take Ramondre Stevenson before Damian Pierce, I think you're just ignoring the way that things are going. I mean, Heath, we may even look back in a few weeks, like about a month from now, and say, if you took Ramondre Stevenson over James Cook, if right. you took Jermondre Stevenson over Khalil Herbert. And, and the thing is, all these guys, except for, I think, Herbert, younger than Stevenson as well. So for yeah. like, I know a lot of people had Stevenson as a top 12 dynasty running back. And and I, you can't feel very good about it. I mean, it's hard to ever feel good about a Bill Belichick running back as a right. top 12 running back because of how things right. change. Now, we do have a more important question in the chat from Lester yeah. because you are in. Oh, the yeah. And Sean Payton has come out against bucket hats and you are wearing a bucket hat. So we do need to know your thoughts on Sean Payton hating bucket hats. I, 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 <laughs> I don't know how Sean Payton can see anything over the wall of money he has. So, you know, he'll, <laughs> he'll be okay. I will say this about Sean Payton as an aside. Uh, he, the, after when he retired from the saints, he said, I'll see you on the neutral ground. For those of you that don't know new Orleans and don't know the n- meaning of that in new Orleans, the streets have pretty big medians. They call it the neutral ground because it was the neutral ground between neighborhoods where there may be some hostilities uh and he said i'll see you on the neutral ground i.e that's a place you watch mardi gras parades from and sure enough if you went down to napoleon oh i don't remember exactly like napoleon around Colise, napoleon and coliseum he was there just hanging out <laughs> having beers watching the parades um and then the other thing i'll say on that side uh of things because I'm going to, you know, New Orleans, us New Orleans folks love some New Orleans. Uh, it's the year they they called it the Lombardi Gras, the year that New Orleans won the Super Bowl. And during Mardi Gras that year, the Saints were uh, on a flip with the Lombardi Trophy. And they actually passed it down. Like, if you were in the crowd, you might have gotten a chance to touch the Lombardi Trophy. So, in other words, Sean Payton, all is always forgiven, even if he hates my bucket hat, because of you know, they won the Super Bowl. It's all <laughs> That that does uh, cure just about everything. As a similar situation to the running back news at tight yeah. end. It's not a, a new signing, but Zach Ertz okay, yeah. apparently recovered from the ACL, expected to be ready for week one. This is another mm-hmm. guy who everybody's just tried to pretend like doesn't exist right? because we're all so excited for the Trey McBride breakout. And I do yeah. still have hope for McBride. I think he's a, a high-end number two dynasty tight end right now with the potential to maybe jump into that top eight discussion really pretty soon. But Ertz is going to stand in the way this year as long as he's on the Arizona Cardinals, right? Yeah, and I didn't mention – I didn't really get to Cook and and Hall and I, really quick. And I think because it applies to what I'm about to say about the Cardinals, it's just a mess. The yeah. Jets' backfield is a mess. And remember, the Jets, like the Patriots, have some offensive line issues. The Jets' offense could just be – I could easily see the Jets being uh, – well, you, do you like car crashes? Do you like NASCAR races, dumpster fires? Like, just disaster. I could see disaster in the Jets' offense. I don't think there's any way you want to go near that Jets' offense. Whatever it is at the beginning of the season in terms of a split, it could change week to week. The best-case scenario for fantasy is that Brees Hall returns to form and is so good that they just realize they set a bunch right. of money on fire. But I don't think that's going to happen. I think that as everything, their logic, like the Alan Lazard signing, their logic is so skewed by the pursuit of Aaron Rodgers that we can't assume anything rational about what they're doing. And certainly their offensive line has to be better than it was last year if they're even going to get out of the garage. Now, Arizona, similarly, who's going to start week one? It might be Clayton Toon. Who knows? It's probably still going to be Colt McCoy. And that, again, gives us a low-wattage passing offense. Now, there's opportunity for volume plays there. But which ones? Marquise Brown, Rondell Moore, 
one of Michael Wilson or Zach Pascal, maybe James Conner. I mean, Heath, if we're looking for running backs that haven't really stepped on it, I just named some of them, the running backs who haven't stepped on a landmine or perhaps even had their value enhanced during the, the last month. I think that Pierce is the headliner, but James Cook and Khalil Herbert are right behind him. And then, I mean, James Conner at least hasn't had any. James Conner could be okay. He could catch three, four, five balls a game. But now when you add in Ertz and you have Trey McBride, now we're talking about five viable targets when you add in three wide receivers. It's going to be one of the least productive passing games in the league. I don't know how we're going to project this week to week, and I know that we don't want to have any piece of it in our drafts. Do you think that uh, either Hall or McBride are good buys for teams that maybe are kind of on that? I'm not sure if I'm competing this year, but I expect them to be a lot better in 2024. Yeah, Yeah, I think that absolutely you take advantage. So emotion is a big part of fantasy football, and it should be. Embrace emotion. I know that I just said we need to be dehumanizing. Look at this, (laughs) it's just numbers. But we have to factor in what the emotions are rippling through the fantasy football hive mind. And I do think in this moment, uh, if you like Brees Hall, if you like even Ramondre Stevenson, although, as he said, be, beware of Bill Belichick running backs holding value year over year. If you like uh, a Trey McBride, uh, in general, when a young player on the upslope side of their career arc gets hurt, especially if they get hurt in a season-ending kind of way, that's the time to swoop in and buy. When the blood is in the streets, when the team that they're on that fantasy player is in distress, that's when you want to swoop in. So I think that's a good point that you want to go counter to the prevalent emotion in the room. That's when you can often get the best values. So we got J.K. Dobbins back off the pup. Hopefully he's going to give us some hope this year for Brees Hall in 2024. Dobbins looked good at the end of last year. I would expect a pretty strong showing from him this year. He's still young enough that he could be a three to four year window back. And I still think as a rusher, and it'll be interesting to see if Todd Monken gets him more involved in the passing game, because that's been what's missing in PPR leagues. But as a rusher, I think he's just about as good as anyone. And I wouldn't be surprised if he has a three to four year run like Nick Chubb has had the last three to four years. He has it in him. He definitely has it in him. And I do think that the, just the level of talent he has makes him worth dipping your toe in the water in the sixth, seventh round. Now, again, in in no scenario would I take him over Damian Pierce. And I'm not sure, as we sit here right now, Heath, that I would take him over James Cook uh, just because you don't have as many questions. And the problem with J.K. Dobbins right now is how much of him being on the PUP list was legitimate, a legitimate health-based reason, which is a problem, or how much of it wasn't a legitimate health-based reason, which is also a problem. And I right. think the help, the exploitative running back market is going to introduce something that may skew our evaluation or uh, our analysis. Because let's put Saquon Barkley aside. I think Saquon Barkley is, is just a, a warrior, and he's not do anything but stand by his teammates. Okay? Now, J.K. Dobbins, Josh Jacobs... Jonathan Taylor, do we have a new uh, angle where running backs that know they're not going to play for a team next year aren't going to give a lot to that team? Right. Why am I going to sacrifice my blood, sweat, and tears for you when you aren't willing to commit to me? So I think there's and 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 Heath, I'm, I'm th- this is a massive range of outcomes, right? On one end, we remember back in the good old days of fantasy football when a contract year was, who are the players and contractors? That's who you want, right? Because they're they've got a lot of motivation. Well, Josh Jacobs just did that. <laughs> yeah, and what did he get? Another. It's like Groundhog Day, right? He's just right back where he started. He didn't even get the fifth year option picked up. They didn't even pick up, which they would have saved some money, I think. Uh, so, on one hand, you have. Jacobs, and at least when he does show up, Taylor paying for a little bit more money than Dobbins. Dobbins is on like a $1.4 million contract right right now. If Dobbins suffers a catastrophic injury, that's his earning potential for the rest of his career gone. So I don't know how to, I I really am shrugging my shoulders because I don't know. I can see human psychology is so unpredictable. 
On right. one hand, I could see these running backs saying, well, I guess I have to just ball out and hope that next year justice happens and I can get some sort of long-term security for what I've given on the field. But I also understand, and Tank Williams, and it's so great that there's so many player voices in our ecosystem now, Heath, because Tank Williams used to play for the Titans. Immediately, whenever Barkley and Jacobs, uh, uh, I, mean, or I think Barkley showed up and uh, he said, well, but what's going to happen the first time he has a minor injury? Or is he right. going to invent a minor injury? So again, sixth, seventh round, that's about where the break point is strictly because of talent and the hopes that this Ravens offense, faster paced offense is going to be a better offense. I could see Dobbins hitting, but there are probably a running back or two on the board when he's going off the board that I like better. And, and I think like John Bosch says this a lot in dynasty, like the only time to roster a running back is like, if you get to week six and you're definitely a contender, then go get a couple <laughs> running backs right? because like, it's just, it's holding a running back is just a landmine in dynasty fantasy football right now. And that there's a couple of guys like Bijan, Jameer Gibbs, probably not going anywhere. Christian McCaffrey, he's happy. He's going to be a stud as long as he's healthy. But yeah, there's just not that many guys you can be sure about. So let's get to week six, week seven, see who the guys are who are leading their teams. We'll go acquire them with future draft picks. We'll win the league and we'll figure the rest out later. I think that's about it's I, we complain about how bad the tight end position is in fantasy and it is. But the difference is there's really only like two or three guys that are good. So you're not missing right. out on that much. There's going to be 15 good running backs this year. It's just that you really it's hard to figure out with all the, the varying things going on. And that will be a struggle, I think, in redraft and dynasty and just about every format. Listen, we, we've gotten through the notes. We've got deep sleepers coming up right after this short break. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Did you know that while over 60% of Americans dream of starting their own business, less than 20% of them take the first step? The reason? Building a business is tough. Taylor Brands is simplifying the business journey. From launching and managing to growing your business, Taylor Brands isn't just another tool. It's your online business partner from launch to success. With Taylor Brands, building your dream business becomes an effortless experience. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, ensuring you have everything you need in one place. From LLC formation to bookkeeping, invoicing to acquiring licenses and permits, and even setting up your bank account, Taylor Brands handles it all seamlessly. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using our link, taylorbrands.com slash CBS Sports. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash CBS Sports. So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands. Okay, so I want to start with some of the deep sleepers. And, and again, you said it at the top. There's a range of what deep sleeper means to somebody. I'm amazed at the number of times that I get questions about eight and 10 team leagues. And then at the same time, if you give a sleeper for a 12 team league with six bench spots, everybody tells you that's not a sleeper. And so yeah. I, I'd ask for a little grace from everyone who's listening and acknowledging that we're going to talk about a wide range of guys for deep sleeper. Cause that means a different thing for a lot of different leagues, two quarterbacks though, who I thought kind of popped in week one, and I've been on one of them, Sam Howell, for most of the summer just because of his situation. I think Eric Bieniemy, while some Ron Rivera says some of the players don't like his style, I think that's going to be a pretty good situation with Jahan Dotson and Terry McLaurin, and, and he looked pretty good in his first action. And then a guy I haven't talked about at all, Malik Cunningham, kind of comes out of nowhere for the Patriots and looks like the new Taysom Hill. What did you think of Howell and Cunningham in week one, and what do you think of their prospects this year? How looks all good. I mean, good in the sense that he's probably one of the 32 best quarterbacks in the league. He probably deserves to start. And if you look at his fantasy rushing stats uh, or rushing stats as applicable in fantasy in college, there's something there. There's especially in super flex leagues, playing super flex in two quarterback leagues. It makes fantasy football much more interesting. Yes. So I think there's something there. Now, the other thing we have to be aware of, I'm going to try to mention offensive line play as often as I can, Heath. Because offensive lines are rough. Oof, it's rough. 
it's yeah. rough. So we could see Sam Howell as a player who has some potential to level off, at, at least, again, in that top 32 quarterback where he deserves to start, uh, higher than Taylor Heineke, you know, um, higher than Case Keenum, who had that one good year for Minnesota. But we might not know it yet because of the offensive line. But I think that as a potential waiver wire pickup to cover a bye week or an injury, if the offensive line pulls together a little bit, like you said, we want to see what the, the fruits of Eric Bieniemy's labor are, uh, the tough love that he's bringing there. So I think that it's he's it's worth monitoring, and he looks like he belongs. Malik Cunningham is really interesting. Malik Cunningham is interesting first because this is the organization that developed Julian Edelman, right? So they're open to things. They're open right. to uh, players fitting in a different way than they did in college. And Malik Cunningham has been getting a lot of reps as a wide receiver. But when he came in as a quarterback, he looked like, again, it wasn't too big. Now, yeah, it's the end of the preseason game, et cetera. I get it. I get it. I get it. But he, it's not, you don't have to stretch your mind that wide <laughs> to think if this team is four and seven and Mac Jones looks like the way that Mac Jones has looked and Bailey Zappi is still Bailey Zappi. When do you start thinking this again? Two quarterback superflex leagues, you have to be a step ahead of everybody when it comes to finding that quarterback. And I guess the Malik Cunningham uh, topic, I want to emphasize to folks that during the offseason, we spend so much time staring at these depth charts. We spend so much time thinking about it that it feels static, right? It feels like everything is pretty much set and there's a narrow range of outcomes and we're just trying to figure out where in that narrow range of outcomes. The reality is that it's more like in these wild inflection points where everything goes like incremental change, incremental, incremental change, incremental change, and then woof, big swing and it's over. And if you were on the wrong side of that swing, you just got clobbered. And if you're on the right side of that swing, you're soaring. And F Dynasty, as our, one of our topics, overarching topics here, um, you know, we could be saying, well, there's no way Malik Cunningham's going to be the quarterback of the future for the Patriots. And then in, in the matter of like one week where Mac Jones throws three interceptions in the first half and the Patriots are down 21 nothing at the half and they're already basically out of playoff contention, they say, well, let's see what Cunningham can do. And Cunningham lights it up in the second half. And now all of a sudden, Malik Cunningham is the quarterback, at least of the present, right? So I think just the promise he showed and that this is an open-minded organization. And remember another thing, there was a lot of, chatter of a rift a fracture between mac jones and belichick right? right and there's some talk that the ownership is forcing mac jones on belichick now who knows if any of this stuff is true that we're even hearing this because it's the patriots Here, here's the one rule here's how you, you fit in the patriot organization don't talk to anybody about anything Right? right. Don't say anything. So just that we've even heard, ooh, there was some friction. Ooh, they didn't like what Mac Jones was doing with an outside quarterback coach or whatever. Just that we're hearing that there's some fire to that smoke. So I think we have to be open minded to the possibilities here because Malik Cunningham is doing what we hope, what we wish for, for all these players. Because the, the NFL, one of the beautiful things about the NFL is it is still one of the last outposts of the American dream where whatever odds you're facing, whatever everybody has said about you, if you go out and you prove you can do it, then that's all behind you. And then you look at Austin Eckler, right? Look at some of these players that had absolutely right. no expectations coming in. Adam Thielen was a, a, a local tryout. You know, teams get to bring in as many players as they want from their local market. You know, there are players who had no expect. James Harrison almost made the Hall of Fame this year. He's got to get in the Hall of Fame. He was cut four times, you know? So, right. so... Yeah, let's be open to Malik Cunningham. Let's be open to lots of things that we say that's never going to happen. Guess what? Every year, lots of never happen things happen. Speaking of the long odds, we're going to talk about the short players. Deuce Vaughn and Tank <laughs> Dell, two of my favorite guys yeah. in rookie drafts um, this season. You get to that round three, round four range. I just could not stop gobbling these guys up. And fantastic performances in their preseason yeah, debuts. Yeah. And, and the response that I get on Twitter, like I share the highlights, I talk them up. And of course the response is he's too small. He's 5'8", he's 160 pounds, he's five foot five, And I just kind of feel like both these guys have already been penalized for that. 
If yeah. Deuce Vaughn was 215 pounds, he would have been a first round pick right. by the way that guy moves. He's already been penalized for that. We've already seen Tank Dell penalized for that. The way he produced at Houston, the way he gets open, if he was six foot tall and 190 pounds, he would have been picked in the first round. So we don't need to penalize them a second time because of their size. Are you excited about either of these guys in terms of long term potential? And I guess which one of them are you more excited about? I think long-term potential, probably Dell. But I think you're right to point out that players with low BMIs, players that are shorter than you need to be, thresholds are important. When I first started going out on the road to the the college all-star games and being part of the draft scene, I remember one of the things that I learned was their thresholds. And some of these they're still holding, right? Like a, a tackle needs to have 34-inch arms and quarterbacks nine-and-a-half-inch hands and all these different things, right? Uh and I think that these players were outside of the previous thresholds. But I also think the game has changed. You have more college concepts in offenses. They're spreading the field more. I like to say every team needs to have a player that can force the defense to honor the jet sweep, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a lot more room. Tutu Atwell is a player who's coming on. And obviously McVay took him in the second round. So McVay thought, hey, these players that most people would just put a line through and say too small for the NFL. Now, Dell is especially interesting. I'm going to bring in stories, of course, again, because he and CJ Stroud are, are buddies right. from the draft scene. And the word is that Stroud asked for them to take Dell. That matters. Look, when the bullets are flying out there, quarterbacks, the relationship and chemistry they have with the receivers, that matters. So I think Tank Dell has that long-term potential working the middle of the field, especially because CJ Stroud is a quarterback that we saw within structure is fine outside of structure. So if tank Dell's that first read uncovering early in his route, so that if the offensive line, which has had a lot of injuries is forcing him to get the ball out quickly, then I think that tank Dell's really interesting. Deuce Vaughn is interesting because Malik Davis, who was the number three last year has not seized the number two job. And I love Tony Pollard and everybody should take Tony Pollard in the second round. All right. But He's never had to hold up under large workload, the workload they're planning on giving him. Right. So we need to know who's up next. And again, a great story. Hey, you want to go with dad to work? Beautiful. I'm going <laughs> to tear up just thinking about it. But, you know, those those kinds of beginnings to a story. Uh, I, I would love to see the Cowboys, except for Jerry Jones, rewarded for buying into that human story. And I think, like you said, Deuce Vaughn showed that quickness and showed that he belonged. And if this trend continues, I think he's going to be the guy that you want if Tony Pollard goes down. Well, and I think that the thing is like, yes, Malik Davis and, and even Rico Dowdle, like they, they look more like NFL running backs, but they can't do the things Deuce Vaughn can do. The, the moves he makes in open in the open field there's there's not more than 15, 20 guys that can make those kinds of moves. So like find a way, and we talked about it, like you talked about the the different thresholds we used to have. Well, it used to be that guys like, honestly, probably Jalen Hurts and Justin Fields didn't right. get the chance to do what they did. It Not very often as a guy like Josh Allen got the, the two years of really poor throwing to, to get a chance to develop into what he was. Like we're seeing co- the, the, the teams that win find a way to use the guys that have special skills that are better than everyone else. And so I I do think, uh, give these guys a chance. There were three more running backs. One of these was one of my favorites before the, before the preseason, really before the NFL draft, Israel Abanacanda, everything just fell apart. Let's hope that maybe he ends up on a different roster or has a chance in two or three years, but, but two other guys who popped Chris Evans, a guy we've been waiting on for a couple of years, and Elijah Dotson. Like, are, are you excited about either of these guys? Well, Dotson has to be watched because Joshua Kelly, uh, Isaiah Spiller, these guys have been given opportunities and not really seize the day. Uh, and, and Austin Eckler goes down. We want, and even if Austin Eckler doesn't go down, there's opportunity. There's enough in that offense for there to be a second running back who has at least marginal value week to week, but certainly injury upside if Eckler goes down. So we have to watch this. Uh, even if it, let's put it this way, if Dotson makes the team, I don't think Dotson will be the number two running back. And they just released Larry Roundtree. Right. So this is a good sign for Dotson. Uh, if he makes the team, it could be one of those situations where if Eckler misses extended time, their plan A is let's go with Kelly. Let's uh, go with Spiller. But Dotson could force his way in a, the similar way that Jalen Warren has for the Steelers. Nobody had Jalen Warren at where he right. is with the Steelers at this time last year. Nobody had Jalen Warren is pretty much a one A for the Steelers. So let's keep that in mind. And remember, for Dynasty, this is a wide open situation next year. 
probably they'll draft a running back, but this is a wide open situation for next year. Again, Isaiah Pacheco, right? Who had right. him where his value is right now at this time last year after uh, a, a, a good camp. So I think that absolutely uh, Dotson is somebody that we need to watch. And Evans, Evans is interesting because we know he has receiving chops. That was right. one of the things that he got drafted on. Then also he's at Michigan. Don't you just feel like Michigan hasn't really been showing us the best of their, like Nico Collins, <laughs> Donovan Peoples-Jones, right? Like the, the Michigan's offensive skill players have had to overcome the perceptions about them based on how they produced and performed at Michigan. And Chris Evans was one of those guys. I think he was a highly touted recruit. I think uh, measurables wise, physically, he's what you wanted. He just fell well into the third day because it was kind of mysterious and COVID the season threw things off and you know just lost a lot of momentum, I think, in his career. But now you're seeing him potentially emerge with Travion Williams banged up. Chase Brown is interesting, although I don't know at this early juncture of his career that he's a running back that the team's going to trust. Right. So, so we just want to know if Joe Mixon goes down. Who's the guy? Because much like the Chargers offense, the Bengals offense is going to just produce running back numbers as residue of them going up and down the field and scoring points. doesn't even matter how good the running back is. So the next in line is important. It looks like right now that's Evans. We've got some wide receivers who popped in. One that I saw, like we've already talked about Tank Dell, but I was watching, of course, that uh, Saints-Chiefs game. Yeah. And man, A.T. Perry comes onto the field with Jameis Winston and it's like, wait, he should have been playing with the other guys. Right, <laughs> he should have been right, playing with right. the first team, just absolutely destroying anybody who was trying to cover him. And we know Michael Thomas's injury history. I'm not yes. sure there's anybody else other than Chris Olave who's definitely ahead of Perry. This was a guy who had a little bit of steam before the draft as well. You're, you, you know the Saints as well as anybody yeah, except sure. for maybe the Steelers. So, so uh, how do you feel about Perry? Yeah, I think the mentioning Michael Thomas in the same breath is important because, like you said, uh, it's like the and I don't I mean Michael Thomas. At least he got paid before all this happened because I don't want to poke fun like what week? What's the pool? What do you have week five? I've got week four. You know that's going right. to be the season-ending injury. But uh, once something happens a few times, we have to say it's more likely that it continues to happen than it doesn't. The, the trend reverses. When they picked up Perry, I thought, and again, Perry is a guy. If you go back to pre-draft evaluations, Heath. He was considered, you know, a mid-round pick, a third to fifth round pick. He did not end up there. That doesn't mean that everybody who evaluated him as at least an NFL contributor, if not more, was wrong. And his game maps to Michael Thomas's game very well. So I think that's the other thing that if there's a role in the offense for a player with a big wingspan, a player that can win contested balls in short and intermediate zone, uh, Perry is that guy. The other guy I'll mention, he's out with a groin injury just because I got to mention Rashid Shahid. I got to <laughs> mention I got to mention Rashid Shahid because again, as an undrafted free agent last year, I think his numbers Heath were something like 28 for 480 something and two touchdowns. And that was on 34 targets. He did that on he had almost 500 yards on 34 targets. So what happens if he gets 80 targets or 90 targets this year? You know, right. Derek Carr, who's supposed to improve the deep passing game, say what we will about Andy Dalton, deep passing is not his forte. So I think Rashid Shahid is someone to pay attention to. But I think the the line of thought about the Saints offense is how are we going to project this offense if Michael Thomas isn't playing right. is one that we want to be a step ahead when it's time for the waiver wire pickups or your last round pick to make sure that when everybody else is scrambling and trying to figure out who to pick up or how does this affect the offense, you already know. Well, I think we're, that, that's one of the reasons I wanted to talk about these guys now, because I, I think in a lot of my dynasty leagues, we've got this period between rookie drafts and the the, the first run of waivers. And that, that first run of waivers in training camp, there's always some guys dropped who probably shouldn't be. And there's always some rookies who didn't go in the first four rounds of the rookie draft who all of a sudden everybody's gobbling up. I think Perry's going to be one of those guys. But I also think Shahid's someone who's probably sitting, because of his strong finish last year, towards the back of people's rosters. And so I, I know you're going to hate me for doing this, but yeah. you're, you're sitting there with Rahid Shahid on your roster and you see A.T. Perry on the waiver wire, are you making that transaction or is it close enough to where you just kind of shrug? I think you have to just keep Shahid for now because he's already proven he can play. He's right. already been on the regular season field and proven that he can play. So I think, and I, you know, it's going to make me want to bring up Deontay Hardy too, who basically he took over <laughs> that same yep. role. But it looks like Deontay Hardy now, 
Dalton Kincaid is kind of the slot receiver for the Bills. But interestingly enough, when they went to one tight end personnel packages with the starters on the field, it was Kincaid, not Dawson Knox, which was a bit of a surprise, I think. So if Dawson Knox is on the field, uh, not on the field in the 11 personnel, as they say, which is three wide receivers and one tight end, and Kincaid is on the field as an inline tight end, then that gives a lot more opportunities for that slot receiver, which may or may not be hardy. But it's the important thing is for this, especially with best ball on the rise, people right. should know the players who have higher value targets. Maybe they don't get as many targets, but often they get targets further downfield, targets that can turn into long touchdowns and long plays. And then can the offense support that? Uh, and I think that in both of these cases, the Bills and the Saints, that the running game, setting up the deep ball, and the player at the end of that deep ball, someone you want to know. So it's Shahid right now, but that can flip so quickly. Again, going back to my point about the Malik Cunningham talk, right. this stuff, just you got to be agile. You got to be nimble and be willing to throw away what you thought was real and replace it with what your eyes are showing you is real. And Heath, I think whether it's dynasty or redraft and playing dynasty leaves gives you a lot more opportunities to profit or benefit from seeing these things. I think in fantasy football, the one of the biggest flaws people have is they don't act because they want to see more evidence. I want to right. see more evidence. I want to see more evidence. By the time you see enough evidence to feel some sense of it's too late. It's over. The window's over. The window closed. So keeping your mind massaged and limber for all the possibilities. And then we watch that first two or three weeks, maybe even be a little impulsive and act on week one, overreact week one, if it matches your priors. That's one of the other things. Hey, if things are just reinforcing your priors, sometimes your priors were right. So it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay to put weight on things that reinforce your priors. Right. So I think being ready to act decisively before other people are, you will stub your toe sometimes. No doubt, if you're willing to make these kinds of moves, you will look back and say, that was rough. But overall, you will do a lot better than if you were the dynasty player or the redraft player who says, I got to see another week before I'm really willing to accept this. This was definitely a uh, guy in the chat here for yeah. Sigmund Bloom. Got to drown a lot of worms to catch a few fish. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody once said that wearing a bucket hat. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. We've got, we've got about 10 minutes left here with Sigmund Bloom. We've got a few more deep sleepers for you right after this break. Hello, everyone. It's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search the rest is football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meats. When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen. Okay, we have not talked about the deep sleepers at tight end. And then it's the greatest thing about tight end is that anybody could be a deep sleeper because it only takes about nine fantasy points right. per game no matter. Right. So anyone could do that. There are two. One of them did kind of pop in week one, Jake Ferguson. And, and he was someone who I think a lot of people didn't even expect to be the lead Cowboys pass catcher at tight end this season. And then another has been, I, I guess we'll call him a post-hype sleeper, but Irv Smith landed in Cincinnati, has had some very good practices with the team, taking over that Hayden Hurst role last year that was about five targets per game. If you're, I, I think like punting the tight end position makes a ton of sense if you don't have Travis Kelsey or Mark Andrews. If you've done that, are these the types of guys that you're maybe looking to add as we head into the season? Yeah, to expand the scope of your question, I think that uh, – just to give a quick primer on tight end draft strategy. I do think that there's a position also that you take one of Kyle Pitts or Darren Waller. If right. it's going to be a, a, a top three tight end that you can get outside of the top three, it's probably one of those two guys. And there's reasons to think that uh, they're both going to 
be much closer to their ceilings than their floors, depending on how things go. And then I agree with you after that, you may be David and Joku, but you probably just want to wait and throw, do a shotgun approach, throw a bunch of darts, see what happens. I think absolutely Ferguson is on your list. Smith's on your list. The three rookies are on your list. Forget about all that stuff that the rookies can't contribute. Yes, rookies can contribute at tight end. Look at how many rookies were contributing at tight end by the end of the year last year. All right. And these were not very heralded rookies either. But you have in Laporta and Kincaid, who I already mentioned, and Luke Musgrave. That's a guy who also needs to be on your list, especially with Jordan Love looking pretty ready. I mean, not like he's going to set the league on fire or anything, but competent, ready to be competent in this offense. The rookies are definitely in that mix. Taysom Hill is probably still in that mix. He is a short yarded running back for the Saints. You know, that alone. You, you don't pretty, think he loses any of that to Jamal Williams? I don't think so. I think yeah. that. I, I think that he, I mean, why, why would you, especially with, I, I think they should try the tush push with, I mean, Taysom Hills, his own tush push, <laughs> you know, but I'm just saying right. that, that play, it's a copycat league, Heath, you know, that play uh, to convert. I mean, maybe Jamal Williams takes, but I'm, again, we're talking about a shotgun approach. You're not just taking Taysom Hill. You're taking Taysom right. Hill. And, and then the other two guys I would put in that group, your speculative tight ends. Your um, Jake Ferguson's a good one. Look, we know Dalton Schultz is just a guy, okay? Right. I mean, I'm not taking anything away from him. And J Dalton Schultz could still have some value this year in Houston, but that role was where the value was. Blake Jarwin looked like he was going to be the guy before he right. blew up his knee. Well, the ghost of Jason Witten was a top 12 sure. tight end. Exactly. So Jake Ferguson is the clear tight end one. Now, Peyton Hendershot has been getting in on some passing downs. He is an athletic tight end on his own. And then there's Luke Schoonmaker, who's coming back from his foot issues. And they like him to be the tight end of the future. But there still could be a window. And you mentioned something earlier. There's going to be 15 good running backs. Well, it may even be like there's 30 good running backs, but some of them are good for four weeks or six weeks right. or three weeks. There's my co-host, Salami says windows and Jake Ferguson could be a guy where, okay, you do a shotgun approach. You start Jake Ferguson, maybe for the first four or five weeks, Jake Ferguson gets you through. And then Luke Schoonmaker's ready to do more. But by then you've jumped over to somebody else who's coming on. Maybe one of the rookies has come on because they've gotten over the turbulence at the beginning of their career. Let's talk about Irv Smith. Uh, Irv Smith's still young. Remember he was drafted as a 20 year old. Um, I don't think that he and the Vikings ever got along. I don't think he ever, I don't think he fit it with the Zimmer and I don't, I think can tell you he didn't get along with Thomas Schaefer for, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I want to hear that story. Uh, and I think that you're looking for that fresh start. And as you mentioned, Hayden Hurst, also CJ Uzoma is another one. Both of these guys got paid in this role yeah. and Herb Smith has more to offer than Uzuma for sure. And I think Hayden Hurst was just, you know, the Ravens. I mean, obviously, they were way overdrafted him. And Mark Andrews obviously was the guy. And it worked out fine for them taking that double shot at tight end and taking Hurst ahead of Lamar Jackson. So what you're hearing about Irv Smith is, first of all, Irv Smith's excited and engaged. Irv Smith is saying, I'm getting coaching here that I wasn't getting before. And then the Bengals are saying, we can do more with Irv Smith than we did with our previous tight ends. So these are all really good things. So I think Irv Smith is somebody that we want to be open to redemption. We want to be open to him uh, making something out of his career after it hit a dead end in Minnesota. I've got uh, like six more guys on the list here, and I'm, I'm not going to do what I did yeah, earlier and make, make you choose one. I, I'm, yeah. I'm going to let you choose two, okay. your two favorites. So uh, Clayton Toon, the quarterback for Arizona, kind of battling Colt McCoy for that job until Kyler Murray yeah. Comes back, assuming he comes back this year. Evan Hull, Daneric Prince, a couple of rookie running backs who may have more opportunity than we thought. Michael Wilson, John Mechie, and then Demario Douglas coming out of nowhere for the Patriots. What are the what's up with the Patriots and all these sleepers? Yeah, right. Who, who are your favorite two deep sleepers for dynasty purposes out of that group? I mean, Hall is another one that just I almost wondered is he not deep enough? But the thing you gotta love about Hall is he's got the receiving chops. And uh, it almost seems like the universe is making a path for him between the Jonathan Taylor stuff and Zach Moss. Uh, he's playing ahead of Deion Jackson. So I, I like Evan Hall a lot. Uh, Prince, I mean, he's your Chiefs guy. Has there been a day that he wasn't mentioned in the training camp reports? No, it's it's every day and it's almost always attached with 
I wonder if the Chiefs will use him more in Jarek McKinnon's role, which right. makes perfect sense. Like the people that are counting on Jarek McKinnon to do anything in September, October, and November, I I feel sorry for because I think he's going to be a break glass when needed, right. Right. unless until we get to the postseason. But yeah, I think he could fill some of that McKinnon role early yeah. in the year, and then I mean McKinnon at his age, he could fill that McKinnon role for two to three years to come. The Chiefs love exactly. cheap cheap running backs. They yeah. apparently learned their lesson with drafting Clyde Edwards-Lair in the first round. Yeah, and I, I think that Prince, it's easier for me he, to come up with a scenario where Prince matters in fantasy football than one where he doesn't, because we know who Clyde Edwards-Lair is already. Love Isaiah Pacheco, but he runs with no regard for his health whatsoever. Um, he had to have two off-season surgeries. And then you have McKinnon, and I'm so glad that you're broadcasting this for everybody to understand. Don't draft Jarek McKinnon. Just wait for him to get dropped like around Halloween because they're not going to use him until right. December. He was a league winner last year. He's probably going to be a league winner again this year. At the very least, you need to be open to that possibility. But don't – it depends on the length of your benches. You know, In your deep right. league, 16-team leagues, leagues where you have 20 roster spots and you don't play a kicker or a defense, you can afford to just leave Jarek McKinnon on your bench for three months. But otherwise – Prince, and it's not just the receiving, although that has been the rave reviews that he's gotten mostly are around his receiving ability. But he had, I believe, the best speed score, which is like weight, you right. know, uh, speed divided by weight or whatever. I don't know what the computation is. The point is, it takes into account how big is this player, not just how fast are they, because it expects if you're small, you're supposed to be fast. And if you're big, you're not supposed to be fast. So Prince, in that calculation, was the number one running back in this class. Uh, so I think you have big play ability against those light boxes that Patrick Mahomes creates too. And again, I'm going to come back to this point. Things change really fast. They might go into week one only giving Daenerys Prince three or four touches. If he breaks one of those for a 70-yard touchdown, you're you're tearing up that plan. And now all of a sudden, Prince might be the most valuable running back in that backfield for fantasy. I, I absolutely love it. And that's the, like we said, don't roster running backs until it's week six or seven and you're definitely a contender. But if you're rostering running backs who are free in August and September, right. those are exactly the types of guys because it's nothing but profit. Nothing but profit is exactly how I described the last hour. Sigmund, thank you for joining us. Go follow this guy on Twitter at Sigmund Bloom. Go check out what he's doing at Football Guys. And we will talk to you next week.